Good morning and welcome to Sunday School at Second Baptist. I'm glad you could be with me today. We missed a couple of Sundays and I'm sorry about that. I had the flu, uh, not the COVID flu, but just the regular flu. And um, then as soon as I got better from that, we went out of town to a missions conference for a week. And so anyway, I'll um, hopefully that wasn't too much of a mess up and you can, um, we'll pick up from where we left off and, and go ahead and I'll, when we get over into Philemon, which comes next, I'll just combine a couple of the lessons together because those uh, lessons don't cover very many verses. And then um, that way we can, we can finish up on time at the end of the year. So let's get started then in, in Colossians chapter 2. And we were, when we finished up last time, um, we were on verse 3 of chapter 2. And so that that beginning of the chapter, of chapter 2, is Paul um, talking to the Colossians and talking about how, um, even though he had not seen them face to face, that he was struggling or he was, um, yeah, struggling on their behalf in prayer. Um, and praying that they would be knitted together in love and, and all of that. And so then we pick up on verse 4. So let's read verses 4 and 5. I say this, that, so what he had said immediately previous was, um, I'll just read it, that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then he says in verse 4, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. So, Paul is, his struggle is that he wants to be sure that they are disciplined or discipled in the, the teachings of Christ. And he puts the focus on Christ in, in verse 3. And then um, again here he, he mentions that he's with them in spirit. And he wants to see their good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. So, you know, it's, he's stressing the importance then of discipleship. Um, and so let's go on then to verse 6 and read that one. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And that word walk, let me look at that one. Um, it can also be interpreted lead your life in him. So... This is his encouragement in um, saying that 
as you have already received Christ, now walk in him or live your life in Christ, um, which is what it means to be a disciple. Because we don't just join the Jesus Club and have a card in our pocket that says member of the Jesus Club and then that's the only way that it affects our lives. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to walk daily as a disciple of Jesus or as a follower of Jesus and trying to live the way that he taught us to live. And then Paul is going on then to um, mention some of the specifics. Being, this is verse 7 now, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So these are the things that I guess you might say Paul hopes for them or desires to see in them is that because they have now been firmly rooted in their faith. So, you know, faith, um, or shall I say salvation is an event when you make that decision to follow Jesus and Jesus comes to live into your heart. That's an event. And then uh, beyond that is the um, process of discipleship. And so you don't all of a sudden just one day get discipleship or become a disciple. You become a disciple from day one, but it takes a while for the Holy Spirit to work on us and show us the things that we need to change or do differently or how we could follow Jesus better. And, and I don't think you ever arrive at being a fully discipled. You know, I don't, I'm not sure that you can ever say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm done with that. <laughs> I don't think we ever get done with it because um, none of us are perfect. And so he says, being firmly rooted, that's already happened, now being built up in him. So you're in a process of being built up in Jesus and established in your faith. So your, your faith becomes stronger the more you use it and the more you, um, you learn about what it means to follow Jesus, then your faith becomes established. Uh, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. So that's, a, that's kind of an outpouring of your being a disciple and following Jesus is to um, feel that gratitude of knowing where you've come from and seeing how far you've come and knowing that you're proceeding. That's where the gratitude comes from. Now he begins to give them some instructions. And so let's read verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So... This is his warning, I guess you might say, to them, 
is to be sure that no one takes you captive through philosophy or traditions of men or the elementary principles of the world. And so he's warning them against false teachings. And truly, every teaching that we choose to follow from the Bible, or I'll say as a Christian, every teaching that we choose to follow, it should be something that is backed up in Scripture. Clearly, not that we've picked out one verse and said, okay, uh, I'm going to choose this verse because I like it, and not not taking into consideration what all is around that verse, but I like this verse. I'm going to let this be one of the things I live by. That's not the way to be a disciple of Christ. And I think it's important that we look at every practice that someone offers to us, because there are many. We look at that through the lens of what did Jesus say, and always go back to see if it matches up because you'll be surprised at some of the things that don't match up that we just accept in our modern Christianity um, as being okay. I'm, I tried to write down some examples, and the first one that came to my mind was this uh, prevalent um, philosophy, I guess you might say, that gets preached of sort of name it and claim it. Um, and that is not something that can be backed up with Scripture unless you cherry pick, what I call cherry picking, where you pick out a Scripture and you say, this one is the one I'm going to follow. And then you make something out of that one. If you do it that way, you can come up with all sorts of things out of the Bible. But that's not the, the way to be a disciple. You have to take the fullness of the scriptures and the fullness of what did Jesus say and how did he teach and how did he live. And that's where you get what you live by. Um, to just say, I'm going to demand from God, which is what name it and claim it is. I'm going to, I'm going to have my equal portion by demanding from God and expecting him to give me, then, um, you know, that, that's something that I, I know you, you know, it can't be backed up in scripture. It, it only by the use of twisting of the scriptures can you come up with that. There's another prevalent philosophy in our world, which is not even really found in the scripture at all, but it is, it is a prevalent philosophy that gets taught, and that is that all roads lead to God. You hear that on the news media or, um, you know, in other places, and they, they, at this point, look down on people who believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation, even though the Bible clearly says that, but um, you know, this idea of inclusiveness, and I'm not, I'm not trying to start a political argument here on this point, 
because I do feel like we as Christians should treat everyone with kindness and love. Everyone. I, I don't care how depraved or whatever that you think they may be, you know. Um, if they think they're the devil, you know, we should still treat them with kindness and love because that's what Jesus expects us to do. And so, but this idea that that we're all somehow going to make it to heaven, that the Buddhists, the Hindus, the Muslims, anybody, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe it strongly enough, then you'll make it to heaven, you know. And that is a prevalent philosophy in our world these days. And then back in Paul's day, you know, I think they had more of an influence on the new Christians from something like idol worship, which was very prevalent in, in their society. And uh, the idea that some people were wor also worshiping angels or angelic beings or something like that, you know, that can get mixed in. And what happens is um, if you're a new Christian and you don't really know what the Bible teaches, then things can get mixed in with what you believe. Um, and you, you see that having happened in places like India and also in Mexico, I know of those two places, and I, you know, I'm sure it happens in other places, where the people became Christians, but they never really laid down the worship of idols, and so they just sort of mixed that together, and so you get uh, in like in Mexico, they have a, they have certain days where they take this little statues from the church. And they parade those around through town, you know, and everybody is is um, praising or whatever this statue, you know, and it's it's like it's kind of been mixed with an idol worship mixed in then with Christian teachings. Same thing in India that has happened. It's a Hindu person is may readily uh, receive Jesus as um, one of the gods that they, they follow. But they may not be willing to lay down all the others. You know, that's, that's where the problem comes in. So there are a lot of things, some small and some large, that happen um, in our society. And we just... We have to, even more so these days, we have to be very diligent in learning what did Jesus say and how did he say it and what was his, what was Jesus' outlook on this particular matter and always compare before we begin to, to accept a belief, even, you know, from anybody. I mean, don't accept it from me without studying the scriptures because Ultimately, we are responsible for what we have believed. Uh, the church is not responsible when you get to heaven and you stand before God. Um, it, you're not going to be able to say, well, our preacher, he said this, and that's why I believed it. Or our church always taught that, and that's why I believed it. It's going to be your responsibility to answer for yourself 
about why you believe the things you believe or why you lived in the way that you lived. And so it's very, you know, it's a serious business. Okay, let's go on now and let's read verses 9 and 10. Um, so he's the last thing he said was, rather than according to Christ. In other words, following these other philosophies rather than following according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. So he's again giving them attributes of Jesus and who Jesus is and trying to help to disciple them in this way by saying that um, the fullness of deity dwells in him. Um, this is another way of describing the incarnation or how Jesus was God in human form. And then in him you have been made complete. Your, you, your salvation is complete in Jesus. There's not some additional things that you need. Jesus is the, the salvation that you need. And then he, another attribute of Jesus, he is the head over all rule and authority. So there's not, some, there's not something that came later that's going to be better than Jesus. Jesus is the salvation that we need, and he is the only salvation that we need. We don't have to add other things. Okay, let's go on now. To verses uh, 11 and 12. And in him, in Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So, when, when you know, an, an, in a normal circumcision, the way that we think of it, is when something is removed, or um, skin is removed, you know, that's a circumcision of the, of normal um, circumstances. But this says you are um, circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. And so this circumcision that he's referring to is, and he's saying it in response to those who would say, again, that, you know, you've got to be circumcised in the flesh in order to be a Christian. That was, a, you know, we've talked about that before. That was a prevalent um, philosophy, I guess you might say, that was being taught. And But he's saying you've already been circumcised and what was removed then uh, when we were circumcised by Jesus was the removal of our, uh, the guilt of, of our sin or the punishment, I guess 
for our sin. Um, you know, in Jesus, that was all removed from us. We don't, we don't have a deadline where we're going to face the consequences of our sin that we've done in our life. We don't have that facing us because that has been removed by Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about that we were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So, you know, again, this, this idea of baptism is that when we're baptized, we are the old man. It's, it's a representation of the old man dying and being buried and the new man rising up. And that is what happens when we become a Christian. It's, it's much more dramatic than we think sometimes, you know, because the old things have passed away, as the Bible says. And this old man dies away, and the new man comes. And um, it also talks about, you know, you were raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So it's it's our faith, and that alone is what, um, you know, what saves us, that we believe that's enough. We don't have other things, faith and some other things that we have to do. It's only your faith in God that gives you that relationship with God to to be able to be saved and for Jesus to come and live in your heart. Okay, and then the, the last bit of this is verses 13 to 15. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And so let's break that down a little bit. So what he talks about here is just what I was just now describing where you were in a state of being dead. It's like if a person has not accepted Christ, they are a dead man walking is what I like to say. Um, they, they are dead before they meet Christ, before they know Christ. And then in the way that it happens, Christ touches your heart and says, I want to know you. I want you to be saved. I want you to know me, and the person by faith receives that, and they become a Christian. And so you go then from death to life when that happens. And so it says you were dead in your transgressions. In other words, the weight of all your sin was upon you before you received Jesus. And he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. And then he goes on further, 
to describe it by saying the certificate of debt is like it it was actually a a mortgage or something against you you know you had this lien on your life that all this had to be repaid somehow okay uh i'm putting that in real estate terms now but you had this this responsibility on you just like if you had a mortgage on your house and you know that you're responsible you have to pay that back same thing your the mortgage or the lien of your sins we'll call it that was upon your life before you accepted Jesus and when you accepted Jesus in faith then he forgave you of all your sins it's like he took the lien and canceled it and nailed it to the cross is what Paul describes you know it's like he took the paper and went down to the cross and nailed it up there and that was the end of it you know and so if we think about it in that way that all the weight of our sins was taken away in the time that we became Christian I mean it's an it's an awesome thought and it's true you know then um He's, he goes on in verse 15 to talk about when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. And the him there, um, in my Bible, another um, interpretation of that word is it, or in other words, the cross. So by his death on the cross, he triumphed over these rulers and authorities who thought that they um, were the last word you know on everything and by um, disarming them it says he disarmed them in other words he took away their power he, just like you disarm a robber by taking away his gun or his knife or whatever then the rulers and authorities that were present at that time, he disarmed them. He took away the powerful thing that they had, that they were holding over everyone's head, you know, um, and made that nothing and made Jesus everything at that point. So, you know, it's something for us to think through. We don't often think about how serious and how wonderful that is but but how serious of a thing it is of what Jesus did it's not a trivial it's not as trivial as we make it you know and I, I think it leads us to be more serious about our Christian walk and the way that we walk and the choices that we make and the things that we um, believe and so we'll, we'll stop there our next lesson um, I think goes jumps over then to chapter three. No, I I beg your pardon. It goes on. It starts again in six, in verse sixteen. So we'll pick up there next week and and go with it. I'm glad to be back together with you.